Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Collaborative Edges, conversations to inspire initiatives across languages and cultures. I'm Rocio Quispeñoli, professor of Hispanic studies at Michigan State University and the host of Collaborative Edges. Today, we'll talk about history, autobiography, self and the other in contemporary Italian cinema. Our guest is Marcia Landi in conversation with Joseph Francese. Welcome. Hi, Thank Rocio. Thanks. Thanks for having us here today. Marcia Landi is Distinguished Professor Emerita in English and Film Studies and in French and Italian Studies at the University of Pittsburgh. She's the author of several books on Italian cinema and media, such as Film, Politics, and Gramsci uh, from 1994 and Cinema and Counter History from 2015. Professor Landy is visiting Michigan State University following an invitation by Professor Francese. And today we will talk about her forthcoming presentation on how film and media studies, philosophy and Italian cinema connect in her reflection about the language of self. Professor Francese is a university distinguished faculty and professor of Italian in our university, and he will start the conversation. Thank you. Uh, Marcia, would you please give us an idea of where you're going with your current research? Perhaps anticipate the high points of your talk tomorrow afternoon? I think our audience would be interested in hearing how you cross disciplinary boundaries. Uh, would you care to explain? I would be glad to. Uh, following, uh, well, if I could start back a little farther, but my first book, which was on fascism and film, And I was interested in the relation between politics and cinema, and especially as a result of my writing on Gramsci, interested in the particular ways in which uh, common popular forms – I remember Gramsci once said, populare, what is that? What are the people? But what, what he was interested in, I think, was trying to find out what it is beside the rhetoric. And he was a great student of language. And I tried, I thought at that point, not many things had been written about film and about film and fascism because that was way back in the 80s. And what I discovered in that is that there is – there. I should collectively say there are several different conceptions of history operating. One conception I think has been somewhat exploded by uh, recent critics and uh, I think uh, one of my – former professors at the University of Rochester, Hayden White, was instrumental in doing this, but others have followed it, uh, R.J. Kaufman. And the point of their work was to indicate that you have to think more flexibly about what a medium is. And in this case, my medium is cinema. And in the case of cinema, It's almost like a totality of everything you want to include, the senses, the sight, the sound, even the tactile dimensions of it. Now, how do you do that without reducing or distorting, I think, uh, what is truth? Well, the question is, is it truth we're looking for or is it a way of interrogating texts Hence, my Gramscian kind of background to find out what are the kinds of questions one needs to ask. This doesn't mean they don't ultimately get answered, but they get answered provisionally. It is a contextual thing. And so um, 
through the rest of the books. And I've also been very um, industrious about British cinema as well because I was very interested. When I started working on it, nobody had ever written on popular British cinema. They'd written about Shakespeare on film. And what I was interested in were the programs, the, the ways in which uh, cinema and later television was communicating something about the British culture. And I'm pleased to say, although it might sound like hubris and bragging, that uh, it made some impact because British cinema is now flourishing and there are many folks who uh, are interested, not not that they're disinterested in Shakespeare. There's even an attitude towards Shakespeare that's different. However, bringing me up then to last year's book that came out was 2015 actually, uh, Cinema and Counter History, what I was trying to do there was not – argue against history, that'd be a damn fool thing, it's to argue for a more open, flexible, cross-disciplinary way, which I'll talk about in a second, of, um, of addressing a text. How, how do you do that without sounding like your enemy describes that, you know, it's a lot of superficiality? So you need to know something about one discipline, but as I say about films, it's not one discipline. It's yeah. everything there. It's a technology. It's an audience. It's an interaction. It, our languages are there. And so uh, it always leads you out. And hence, what you see in studies of cinema is that people are hankering for psychological, sociological, uh, genealogical as opposed to historical because – the final point I'd make about what is not uh, historical in the conventional way is it's not progressive and it's not regressive. You can go over the history of, of writing and discover people always wanted to go back as we do nowadays in our current politics and instead you have to see the samenesses and differences of certain moments and, and certain kinds of techniques that you need to develop to make sure you're not offering your own generalizations or your own, uh, as some people want to accuse the postmodernist. Well, some of them may, are derivative, but I think postmodernist has certainly helped us to this. So my ultimate question seemed to be, instead of buying into what's trendy and fashionable about media, which is going to touch on the question of uh, a new media, which is one of my curses and problems, what is it that we understand a medium to be? Mm -hmm. So it, it's not that I think of things as only medium-specific, but I always think of things in a multifaceted, multidisciplinary way, always checking out, coming back to what it is, your text. I think we are still readers of texts, but it's a very different way we talk about the text. The other thing I'd say, my last point on this, unless you have some questions, is that um, I, I am very devoted to the idea. I'm devoted to the writings of Roland Barthes, and I'm devoted even to the writings of Gilles Deleuze. And I think that uh, what's necessary here and what started – and Foucault, of course mm – -hmm. what started with the question, what is an author? got trampled on. Everybody, no author. Of course there's an author. The problem is, what is an author is the question, and everybody wants to 
pin it down to a particular phenomenon. So reductivism is something that counterhistory should not be, and openness is another, and an awareness of your materials. Okay. Yeah, um, I, I like to um, ask a, f a quick follow-up question on that to both of you, because you, I, I agree with um, your last point about history and counter-history. So um, history is uh, a process of representation, yeah. right? It's an account of events. So cinema is a, is a representation as well. Uh, or it's a, it, it comes from a representation of, of, of events. And then when you put together historical cinema, so you have two ways of representing events, correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But what I have found when I teach with cinema in yes. my classes is that I, I realize, especially historical cinema, which is where I'm going, is that people, I'm talking about lay audiences, they watch that and think uh, a movie and they think, oh, things happen that way. Don't, it's like historical cinema is, is, is uh, practically um, the, the one version of what, how things happen in that way. What's your take on that when uh, historical cinema and the issue of representation All right, he pointed to me. I, I'll start because yeah. I think I'm the most vulnerable to criticism in that I don't think there's some, one thing called facts mm -hmm. and another thing called fiction. One of the things I didn't mention earlier about what counter cinema is is that its very basis is art because art is the expression of our sensations, our feelings, our reactions. Now, the problem is, as you, I'm sure, uh, could validate that when you present, especially... I've talked to older people who have a vested interest in what the past is, and I've talked to younger people who now don't bother me with that kind of stuff. And somewhere in between is a failure on the part of people who don't understand that what's there is momentarily contextual. It's not forever, yeah. but it is a fact. But facts come with fiction. As you know, when, 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 when we want yeah. to think of fiction, we've already given it a bad name. We say it's false. But a fiction is – I won't use the word representation because one of the things is that it's no longer a, a, a realist – it could be. But it's not a realist uh, recreation of an object. Joe. Uh, <clears throat> so, yeah, if I could pick up on, on something Marsha said before because – You know, there are texts and there are texts, and um, uh, a lot of postmodernism, uh, postmodernists had trouble uh, when they said, well, everything is a text and everything is interpretation. And I remember a colleague saying, yeah, but when they knocked down the World Trade Center, that was reality. It wasn't a text. And while she was talking, I, I remember uh, it came to mind a, a documentary I saw on uh, an archaeological dig at Pompeii. And the skeletons they uh, uncovered were texts. And history, for me, is how real people live their lives. And what was interesting about that documentary was they found the skeletons of men, women, children huddled together, hugging each other. But they were able to interpret those texts. Uh, the wealthy uh, residents of Pompeii still had their jewelry, rings, earrings, on Whereas they, uh, the servants who had, had been made to w go to work at an early age, the muscles had cut into their, into their bones. And so, you know, on the one hand, you have interpretation of texts. 
but you also have a, a, a material reality. And I, I, I'm listening to Martian. I, I, I guess I have to label myself. I'm, I'm an historical materialist, and and so this is why I, I, this idea of counter uh, history, because uh, what Rocio said. Uh, it becomes uh, an historical film becomes not it's not what really happened but it is what enters into the common uh, imaginary and it's what people think really happened and uh, as as you know uh, um, a mental reality often supplants real reality um, and so this would bring me back to a question I wanted to ask Marsha. Uh, uh, counter history, which you know is in the title of your, I think it's your, your latest book. You've written so many, <laughs> but I think it's the, the latest one. And it's also part of your, uh, 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 the title of your talk tomorrow. How do you define it? Is it the, this blurring of subject and objective that I've sort of alluded to, the blurring of fact and fiction, or, or is it something else? Well, you know, I think I can't say I, – I can't jump in without addressing a little bit what you're talking okay. about. I don't deny when someone has their – is incised and cut that they bleed. Remember Shylock doing that bleed. Or, or the Yale critics look both ways before crossing yeah. the street lest they get that's hit by a right. bus. <laughs> because I don't think that's what's involved. I think when you – I mean this is a very complicated question. Of course there is a certain blurring of subject and object because there always is. Because the mind gets confused too and the way in which we perceive changes by evolution, by physical change around us, there's no denial of physical reality. As a matter of fact, the first writings on cinema were about the redemption of physical reality. But it's a question of when you make it as a subject, a, a disciplinary thing, um, the the thing that's important is to see that it is working differently in terms of conceptualization, that it is being repeated, transmitted, transformed. And now the problem with false, since this is no doubt you know, what's, what's a false narrative, is when you get to a, situ a situation, as you can in the classroom, and I've had it, where people will say, oh, what you're saying is that post-structuralist stuff. <laughs> and it's relativist. And I said, well, where did you ever get permanentist? Did it, where did it come from? I mean, that's why I'm not anti-history. It, it gives us that change. But what's indicated here, and I think I can respond empathetically and agreeably with the question about people, how they live. I don't know what those bodies, which are shown marvelously in Viaggio in, Itali in Italia, the mm -hmm. voyage to Italy of the Rossellini film, where he, uh, where they, um, George film. Sanders and uh, Ingrid Bergman go to Pompeii and they see these two, you can't call them corpses because they're statuary now. Yeah. And how you make that. Now, there are two possibilities. One, you say, well, they're just statues. Or, well, they're not real anymore. But there's some sense in which there are signs and symptoms of real people that you can understand and, and get curious about. So I never feel when I look, and I spend a lot of time in museums, I hate the captions in them, but I still go anyway. <laughs> I spend the time because I'm interested in what kind of differences I learn about them. And, uh, and a lot of it is the material. 
And furthermore, to respond another way to your question, a lot of it is the language we use in our investment rhetorically mm-hmm. yep. with fact and fiction or truth and reality. Yes. And one more thing I would say on that now that I'm getting on my little hobby horse, <laughs> I don't object to reality, but I do somehow agree with Jacques Lacan's writings that he's really making a distinction between the real and reality. Mm-hmm. The real is that complex thing you never reach. It's not desire. Desire is problematic, how you distort it. But it's something that you try to ask and understand in some way that doesn't come back with a cliche. Well, well speaking of the blurring yes. of uh, fact and fiction, yes. uh, uh, spin and in uh, oh, yeah. autobiography, Yes. Because autobiography, um, I don't know if you'd agree with this, uh, do you think it's an act of self-creation? And by that I mean autobiographies, all memoirs, uh, the narrator, the author, and the major character are all conflated. Uh, authors mediate and control all elements of the narrative, including their relations uh, with the audience. And now, you know, you have press secretaries uh, uh, telling us what we, we saw yeah. And, and so you have one reality, a narrative supplanting reality. Well, in an authoritarian society, that's cheap literature. <laughs> Everyone can tell you what you're supposed to believe. The hardest part is to show complexity and show contradiction. And you can't just say to a person, I mean, I'd like somebody to say to Trump, you're a liar. And a few you know, people have said that. But I don't think that's what the issue is. The issue is, so why are you doing that? What's the basis of this? And it's it, there's a question of, let me go back now to your opening statements because I get overenthusiastic about some things. One has to do with how do you understand terms? I've already talked about fact and fiction, which mm-hmm. needs a lot of work, but they're related. The other is a self. And as I said, you know, coping with the notion of the author. I read, I don't think I totally agree with a lot of things she's doing because she seems to be hip, hip on stories, everyone telling stories. She? I'm going to give you. Oh, sorry, sorry. I wanted to start by not vilifying her okay. and then give her a compliment. <laughs> Adriana, Adriana Cavarero. Okay. who wrote a book on storytelling and has written on biography. And I was very excited about it, that she's doing that. But in some way, it seems that all roads lead back to a common denominator of a story, whether it's Oedipus or <laughs> I'm going to talk more about our Hamlet, etc. But I think that the issue of a self, all right, I, might, I better come clean. Mm -hmm. I know about selfies. I live among them. (laughs) I have colleagues among them. The world is out there with everyone selling themselves. And it seems to me that it is a vacuous kind of description of what a soul, a life is, or even an identity. I think that that we're, we're coping with something that is not complex as as we would like to understand. So what is the self? The self is not only what you've read, but what wrote, who wrote what you read and how you received it, what you've seen, what you've eaten, your biological perspective, 
uh, it's a body, but it's a body related to a mind. So it's all those things. And instead of just being a simulacrum, exactly. I, yes. I, I, I think yes. the simulacrum is a bad word, but I think it was used um, at, a t- at a revolutionary time to talk about the consumption of the self mm-hmm. as a commodity. Yeah, I have been um, exploring in my own research, you know, I have come to the realization that uh, working with identity as it is understood as a fixated term, that is that is uh, not the right approach. And that's, that's why now I prefer to talk about identification, you know, okay. the process of identification, because also identity is so malleable and so fluid throughout the time. And now you're touching on the self, which it's, it, I should have thought of that before, but you are you are absolutely right. There are so many selves and so many ways to to understand the self, and it's a malleable and concept. so many aspects of a life yeah. form exactly. that you can't uh, fix it in that way. It's true. Yeah. So it's, uh, but I think it's worth considering because. I think right now, uh, well, as a student of fascism, I know people love their scapegoats and they love to pick out, particularly as the not me, yeah, the not self. But that kind of comes out of the conception of the self, that if you have boundaries of the self. So something that I would consider along with the blurring of fact and fiction is kind of to talk about the blurring of the self and other because it's precisely the bifurcation of them that has created so much difficulty. That's very interesting. Last week, we we had a a symposium um, titled Blurring Boundaries about Arabic identities in the Mediterranean and beyond. And we were talking about, or the presenters were talking about exactly what you are pointing out. It's so interesting. But now let's go to digital media, Joe. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, (laughs) I was going to ask you about Pirandello, because a lot of what you said. Yes, I, I am a great lover of Pirandello and of the Taviani brothers who have used Pirandello mm-hmm. and of the Southern Question, which is tied up with Pirandello. Well, I was thinking uh, of the late Matia Pascal and one, no of one. Of course. Anyway, yes. uh, the, with the digital media, uh, because you've kind of walked around it. So I'm, well, see the I last can... chapter of my book doesn't really walk around it. I, I think I offer, I, uh, I may, this may be defensive, but I don't think so. I think too many people are creating a binary between cinema and digital, mm-hmm. new media. Um, Lev Manovich, everybody wants to read Lev Manovich's book. He's, he's, he's not a villain, but he certainly, they want to see, sometimes in very utopian terms, a new world in being. Well, you've been asking me about this new world in being. And uh, as a matter of fact, as a student of counter history, I'd say, well, tell me about television that's been around for a long time. And it's obviously a central feature through which streaming occurs, but it is that medium. And that's the reason I think that in cinema studies, we've allowed for more studies in television where we were a little bit saucy about, you know, film, what's the art form. So mm-hmm. I, I think that um, uh, my sense is, of course, that I would be contradicting myself if I said that there is no change. I believe there are changes, but the changes are in the culture and the changes are in the technology, but the technology is the only thing. I mean, uh, I hope I can say and use the word evolution 
because there's some kind of evolution that takes place, but it works in terms of different destinies and different directions. And when we try to see this bifurcation, I don't think we see the lacunae and the odds and ends. I think in one sense, cinema may have reached its bad nemesis in the new media, but it's now using it in very interesting ways experimentally with many of the issues that it's been interested about, the body, the skin, the interior, the exterior, framing, the loss of framing, basta. Mm-hmm. Okay, I was going to with, with with the digital media, uh, I was going to bring you back to a uh, five-letter word you used earlier, but you kind of used it, well, I don't know, but uh, digital media, reality, and uh, spin and the unseating of uh, traditional politics. Uh, we have the famous example of someone you mentioned, Donald Trump, his mastery of the 140-character character Twitter format and how um, amazing how his 3 a.m. tweets dominate morning news cycles throughout the uh, – how they dominated throughout the primary and general elections. Uh, would you care to comment on that? I wouldn't really, but I will because I didn't <laughs> sip it in, in no vain. Um, I, I think that um, what he says is vacuous. And people know it, it, it is, you know, this is involved in studying media when I was talking about how you relate to a text. If you relate it just like a static image of Mussolini standing up, how many pictures and the adulating masses, what was the content of it? Did they really believe he was going to drain the Pontine marches? How much did he do of that, by the way? Mm-hmm. Uh, granted, he may have done some things, but that isn't our issue. You know, we're not pure having done everything or having done nothing. In the case of Donald Trump, for me, the biggest failure is the shoddiness of his audiences and the cowardliness of media. He blames media, but for the wrong things. He blames it for not being addressed to his selfie. But the problem is that they have their own kind of ideological structures, if we can give it, exalt it in, in that way, and that um, these tweets um, are really worth studying now because I don't think people understand, especially with them, what the impact is. How, what part of your brain, I'm going to get a little neurological now, what part of your brain, what part of you comes to understand that, how much there's meaning and how much is just a gesture and maybe not truth, but something else. It's not even fiction. Yeah, it's a performative it's a, fact. Of course yes. it's performative. And I think yes. that's another gift, I think, of recent criticism and theory to understand how you talk about performativity. Yes, yes that's right. So, well, thank you very much uh, for this conversation, which is a great inspiration to learn more about um, autobiography, the language of self, and Italian cinema and media. Marshall Landy's talk takes place Wednesday, November 8th, in um, B342 Wells Hall, which is the the main conference room of the Romance and Classical Studies Department, and its title, History and Autobiography the language of the self, and contemporary Italian cinema. I'd like to conclude this conversation with a big thank you uh, to to both of you, Joe and Marsha, 
for being here today. Well, thanks for inviting Thank us. Thank you. It's been very, very, very happy to have you here. And, of course, um, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Letters, any of our sponsors, or any official entities of Michigan State University. I want to thank, again, our guests and our technical producer, Daniel Trego, and tune in for our next podcast on Collaborative Ages. See you next time.